That's our crab tank. Yeah, uh, right. Oh, so you put them down there. Yeah, so they go down the chute. When Jason Georgiulis pulls in a trap full of crabs, his deckhands rubber band their claws and drop them one by one into this long metal chute in the deck of his boat. Yeah, just drop them down the chute and it's just a live well with uh, water in there circulating around. Yeah, cool. Keep them alive and, um, yeah, we target the Asian restaurants and they all want everything live, so they're not worth much when they're dead. So got to be sort of a bit delicate with them, or they're a delicate crab as well, I find. You can sort of just drop them in there, but... You know, you've got to be careful at the same time. I'm on Jason's boat, the St Spiro. It's painted a Greek blue and white and it's docked at Sydney Fish Market. This is the third boat on this whole crab idea that I've had. Uh, started off with a little aluminium one with my dad and um, then we went to another smaller steel boat or bigger steel boat and um, now we're here. doesn't look like much. There's still a lot of rust and bits and pieces and changed the name and yeah, gave it a sort of a new life, I suppose. It was pretty run down and... It's just an old, uh, what I would call an old Tassie cray boat. Um, the cabin's at the back. A lot of boats down that, the southern states of Australia are designed like that. With the, they get rough seas, all that sort of thing. So the cabin's at the back and all the your working is at the front. Our haul is up the front just to keep it right out of the way to give us as much room as possible to stack our traps on the boat. The hauler pulls the traps in. It's a piece of machinery ordered from Seattle where pulling crab traps from deep water is more common. And there's a heap of floodlights up on top of the cabin to light the deck. Probably a bit of overkill, but I had them there, so we might as well stick them on. <laughs> Jason spends a lot of his time on this boat, heading out into deep water off the coast of Sydney, sometimes for days at a time, to fish for a specific species of crab. And, um, yeah, I enjoy it. Sometimes I don't want to go out, but once I get on the boat, I'm happy to go. It's getting there is the hard part, and then once you're on there, you're, you're away, you know, so... I'm Jess O'Callaghan. This is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. This episode, trying something new, something no one else is doing. How do you even start? Jason Georgiulis has been fishing for these crabs, the Chaseon Bicolor or Pacific Golden Crab, for the past three years, and he's built his whole business around the species. But the process of making money in this niche was a long one, with plenty of trial and error. Jason isn't going to tell us the secret spots where he drops the traps, but he will share a lot about the business lessons he learnt along the way. The St Spiro is not going out to sea today. Jason's looking for a new deckhand, and while he searches for the right person, his traps are out off the coast, hopefully filling up with crabs. So the trap's just out there now, just waiting for me to go and uh, collect them or pick them up, I suppose, and empty them, hopefully empty them, not add bait to them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, obviously, just re-bait them, take the crabs out. Jason usually has two deckhands come out to sea with him. He'll work the boat's crane and controls from inside the cabin and they'll pull the crabs out of the traps. The crabs are anywhere between 750 grams and 2 kilos, with the average Pacific golden crab around 1.2 kilos. With the crabs down the chute, the empty traps are stacked around the boat before Jason moves on to a new spot. So I just stack them all up and um, wherever we can fit them, they just go everywhere. You know, like like I said, there's 20, I think 24 of them at the moment. And basically the whole boat's just covered, just in steel cages. Then we just, we might steam for an hour before we drop them off again. We might only go for 15 minutes. Generally, I sort of move half an hour away just to totally change it up 
But um, again, it all comes down to what you catch, whether it's where you go next. And do they travel together? If you've got these spots where there's lots of crabs, like, do they kind of stick together? Oh, or? you know what? It's funny you say that. I still That's probably one of the part I haven't worked out, you know? <laughs> Sometimes we get real big hits of them. Like, you get, you know, 20, 30 in a trap, and then you'll only get a couple in a trap, you know? And then it's there's no consistency. It's very up and down, I've found. Yeah, I sort of haven't mastered that part of it. I yeah, mean, yeah. I can master catching them and making a living, <laughs> but... I wouldn't say catching the mother load every trip is few and far between, you know. A lot about the Pacific golden crab is still a mystery to Jason, but over the years he's learnt that the catch is generally better in summer. Like starting now until, you know, yeah, autumn. Haven't been doing that well in winter. I found the catch was sort of down a fair bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm expecting big things in the next month or two coming up to Christmas, really. Yeah, because I generally do better in summer. So, But summer comes weather and comes currents which is makes it all hard as well so yeah but we'll just see how we go the saint spiro is named after jason's dad my dad was the best decan i've ever had um machine well, probably a better worker than me harder worker than me um yeah, he passed away 18 months ago so Growing up in southeast Sydney, Jason would see the prawn trawlers on the Cooks River and knew he wanted to be a fisher. But his dad wasn't a commercial fisherman himself, not before Jason got into it. And I just always, from as long as I can remember, I just wanted to be a commercial fisherman. I just wanted to go out on the boats and be a fisherman, you know? Like, I didn't know what it took back then. His dad was a carpenter and his parents would have rathered he got a trade too. But they were supportive. When he was in year 10, Jason's dad drove him down to the wharf in Wollongong. My dad took me down to Wollongong Harbour and asked for a job on the boat of my dreams. Asked the guy for a job and said to me, he goes, ask me how old I was and I told him. And he said, young fella, tie some bricks to your feet and go and jump off the end of the wharf, mate, and go back to school. And I was gobsmacked, you know. I was like, wow, okay, that's a good answer. Jason didn't take this advice. He went back to school for a few months, finished year 10, and then tried again. Yeah, so they brought me down here to the Sydney fish market and I uh, asked for a job, or my dad actually asked the guy for me. He worked on a prawn trawler, but didn't last more than a few months. His dad needed help at work, so Jason did his carpentry apprenticeship, saving and visiting the fish market when he could. Yeah, he did my four years. Did the bare minimum I could, because all I wanted to do was go back fishing and buy my own fishing boat. It was 2008 and Jason was almost done with his apprenticeship. He started looking at boats online. When he found the one he wanted, his parents went guarantor on a loan so he could buy it, a trap fishing boat. Yeah, it was a trap fishing boat. It was a lemon. All it did was break down on me and cost me money. Well, every boat costs you money, but, I mean, that one more so. (laughs) It was an aluminium boat, 10 metres long, and it cost him 70 grand to buy it. I I bought it in 2008. But I officially started fishing for myself with Dad in 2009 when I first bought my licence and because I was still helping him. Because once you buy the boat, just because you got the boat, you, then you need a licence. And then you need traps and then you need line and you need rope and you need floats. And all these things cost money and they don't just pop out of thin air and they're not cheap. Um, yeah, so I, I, for six months I was still working for him, just saving and saving and saving. And then I sort of just said, you know what? Let's just go fishing. In this, Jason was pretty lucky. His dad had run a dive charter business and had his skipper's ticket, so Jason had someone to take him out and teach him. 
So if I wanted to go fishing, he got, had no choice but to come because I didn't have my skipper's ticket. Yeah, so it did make it a lot easier, but, you know, when you're working with family, come arguments as well. Plenty of them, lots of them, you know, but at the end of the day, you just go home and all is forgotten and then you come out whenever the weather's good again and it all starts again and the arguments start again, you know, but that's just the way it was, you know, being being sort of from a Greek family and, you know, yelling at each other and abusing each other, just that was all part of it, you know. As an only child, Jason had a lot of family support. His mum did his books. She only stopped about a year ago when he got an accountant. Jason and his dad would go fishing for snapper, for leather jackets. Crabs weren't on his radar yet. He gave up the lemon, though, and bought another aluminium fishing boat, the Eclipse. That's when he heard about the crabs. It just came about one day, I knew of these crabs and I knew... I knew that they did it in the States and I knew that they were caught, a similar crab was caught in WA. And a guy approached me and said, oh, Jason, do you want to go and try and catch these crabs? The Chaseon Bicolor. The more well-known WA snow crab is a Chaseon 2, the Chaseon Albus. But the Bicolor off Sydney is all different colours. Purple, orange, black, white, um, creamy coloured, red. But we call them a Pacific Golden Crab. Right away, Jason and his dad could tell that the eclipse wasn't up for the job. Yeah, we only did it for, I think, a month or maybe two months, and we weren't catching much, and it was a lot of strain on the boat. Like, it just it wasn't cut out for it. And so me and Dad just said, you know what, no, nah, we're not doing it. And we told the guy that no, we're not going to do it anymore. So we just went back to fishing for leather jackets and snapper and different things like that. To catch these crabs, you've got to go really far offshore. And when you're out there, you've got to be able to pull in a lot of traps and take them to a new location. Jason got really into these crabs. He started researching crab fishing, following what was happening in WA and over in the US. Eventually, he decided to go all in with crabbing. And his current boat, the St Spiro, is set up just for that. This is the the cabin. The captain's area, I suppose, skipper's area. Yeah. Um, and did it look like this when you bought the boat? Uh, basically it was, apart from a new computer and a new uh, autopilot. And yeah. Basically everything's the same since when we got it. Even everything else is the same. Oh, we added the fridge and the microwave and what have you, but... There are two bunks, a little kitchenette and a bathroom on board. It's not much, but it's something. It's Which bunk's of... yours? Oh, the bottom bunk here. <laughs> Depending on where the traps are dropped, Jason and his deckhands can go to sea for more than 24 hours, so they need to be able to have a rest and fry some bacon. Like Jason mentioned earlier, the cabin is at the back of the boat, so when we're sitting here inside behind the wheel, the deck is in front of us. I work from inside, all my controls are inside. A lot of boats have controls out outside on the deck, which we don't have here. He can watch what's happening from inside, where he controls the crane. And sometimes you're watching them and it's, sometimes it's painful, you know, so you've got to get out there and help them because you want it done your way. But, yeah, everyone just does the same thing, bait the trap up, get the crabs out, you know, if there's any bycatch, put it in the tank or, you know, rubber band the claws up and things like that. In here, Jason has a computer that uses GPS to mark the spots where he knows he can find crabs, places in the ocean where he's had success before. That's where all the spots are saved. That's where we know where we've got to go work out where we want to go next, things like that, yeah. The other important upgrade to the boat was the autopilot. This one's a new addition. They only put it in a few months back. 
Jason says it's already saved him time and money. Didn't have one. We were hand steering for a while and you start zigzagging and you've got to travel 30, 40 miles. You zigzag all over the ocean and, you know, this thing keeps you straight. <laughs> it's a vital piece of uh, equipment to make everyone's life easy. When I didn't have it, say for argument's sake, when I, before we had it, it was taking us sort of five, five and a half hours to get to where we wanted to go and it basically took half an hour off the off the day just to get there. So that's half an hour there and then half an hour back, you know, you've saved an hour, hours fuel, you know, it all sort of adds up over the course of time. You know, if we burn say 30, 40 litres an hour, you know, that's 80 litres in a day, times a few days a week, times a few weeks a month, you know, you can do the maths. But he didn't buy this boat on his own. To get serious about the Pacific Golden Crab, Jason found a business partner. I've been partnerships with him now for probably three or four years. Just like whatever we catch on the boat is 50-50. Jason's business partner, John, has a stall at the fish market where he sells live seafood. He was buying Jason's crabs and selling them to Asian restaurants for a premium. I just wanted to cut the middleman out, you know, because I could see that I'm selling him something and then he's going and selling it for more. I was like, well, you know, I want to I be the middleman as well. I knew him prior to selling him crabs. So I'd be saying to him, bro, what are you selling these crabs for, you know? And um, sometimes I'm getting 40, 50 bucks a kilo. And I was like, I'm getting 20, 25 bucks a kilo. They're doubling my money and they're not doing anything. Like, how's this fair, you know? And, um, yeah, so I just said to him, one day, I said, let's just buy a boat. So Jason and John bought this boat together and invested in catching these crabs. Yeah, I'll get paid a wage as a skipper as well. So it sort of works out better for me than it does for John because <laughs> I get, you know, I'm 50% ownership plus I'm the skipper of the boat. So I get paid a wage as the skipper, you know. So, But he's cool. He's a lot. He's a bit older than me. And like I said, he's got his own other products that he sells as well, which I don't have anything to do with. You know, that's his thing and this is mine. They're still building a customer base, crab by crab. At first it was a struggle, you know, like I was trying to market it on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, things like that. The crabs are only really valuable when they're alive. Chinese restaurants want them in the tanks at the entranceway, ready to be chosen by the customer and cooked fresh. When they first started out, Jason and John had problems keeping the crabs alive, knowing how to handle them, store them and transport them. They sort of had a bit of a bad name and we've built the name up now and we've actually got people asking for them, which sort of has only just come about, you know, the last few months where people actually want our crab. They're competing with lobster, mud crab, blue crab, but also with the more well-known Western Australian chaseon, the snow crab that people recognise. It's hard to compete. Like the WA crab is an established fishery and it has been for 20, 30 years. And they've got such a good product. Not that my product's not good, it's just theirs is established. Everyone knows the WA snow crab. So it is hard, but it's worked out well now that people want them. Over time, this customer base grew. We just gave a few away initially, you know, just here, take them, you know, just see what you think of them. And, um, every, you know, after the morning after we come in, you know, I'm there and, you know, trying to bargain with them, I suppose. And, um, yeah, just sort of slowly, you know, one guy's sort of half keen on them. Here, mate, take a couple and try them, you know, and if you like them, then come back and buy some. So it took a lot of giving away crabs to build the market up, you know, like we had no choice. People just initially didn't want them, you know, so we 
just started handing them out, handing them out, hand. and sometimes you think, oh, we've handed out 50 kilos, you know, it's like, oh God, like, you just gave away money. They're at the point now where there are enough buyers for the number of crabs Jason is catching. Like, we don't have a lot of buyers. We've got enough for what we, we catch. It'd be better to have more buyers than what we can catch, you know. Obviously, then there's more demand, which then can drive the price up. We sort of don't have that quite just yet because everything's about supply and demand in fishing, really. And he also invested in a fish receiver's permit so he can market and sell the product himself. Otherwise, I would have to sell it to a middleman and then he obviously makes more. So I've sort of, in a sense, cut that middleman out and I sell direct to the Chinese restaurants and... You know, they you just invoice them. Just like it looks like anything, just like buying anything. You know, they pay me, here's your invoice, here's your crabs. Another change they've made since getting serious about the crabs is the price they're asking. We it started off low, we're getting like 15, 20 bucks a kilo, you know, which and it just wasn't worth it. Jason has an idea every time he goes out to see how much he has to catch to cover costs and then make a profit. And 20 bucks a kilo wasn't cutting it. At, you know, 15, 20 bucks a kilo, it just wasn't working, you know. So we just jacked the price up to like 30, 40 bucks. And that's what it has to be at. And even that still makes it, it sounds like a lot of money, $40 a kilo. But when you come in with only, say, 100 kilos and you've got all these expenses, yeah, okay, $4,000, but take away everything, you're not left with much. The everything you're taking away is the cost of keeping the business up and running. Insurance, a licence for 30 traps, and the cost of the trip to sea. Like fuel, Jason's wage as a skipper, the cost of the traps themselves and ropes. Plus the floats, probably between 100 and 200 bucks just the floats, just on the surface. Ship runs over that, there goes a couple hundred bucks before you even start the day. He's also got to factor in the cost of docking here at the fish market. About 1200 bucks a month or something to stay here. I mean, but it's convenient, you know, and it's a fish market, you know, lugging my bait down. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to do that anywhere else. Car park, electricity, water, all that sorts of thing. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a cheap exercise, that's for sure, going commercial fishing. And the cost of the crew, the two deckhands who come out to sea with Jason. Like, we pay them a set wage because, like, this day and age... You know, how can you live on a, on, a, on a commission, you know? Like, people pay rent, people like myself, like, pay rent. you got bills. I mean, I pay myself a wage myself, you know, and then just put the rest in the, it stays in the bank. Like, how can I expect my crew to come out and we come in with five kilos, for argument's sake, and you get X amount of five kilos? Well, actually, mate, you owe me money because I've cooked you bacon and eggs for two days. It just doesn't work like that anymore, you know? So... If they go out to sea, they'll get paid. There'll be weeks where they're not going out and so not getting paid. But for Jason, if they do the work, they get paid for it, even if they don't catch much. I guarantee them something, you know, and if we do really well, obviously I'll give them a bit extra. Jason's wife isn't into fishing, but she supports his passion. She's happy for me as long as we're making money and it's not costing us anything and, you know, she just goes with the flow and... You know, that's just the way, that's the way it is. She has to go with the flow because I'm committed. They've been together since high school and have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. You know, we've had our arguments and things like that, you know, which is fine. Everyone's open and entitled to their opinion. You know, she's a vegetarian and fancy being married to a fisherman, but she is and, you know, that's just the way, that's just the way it is. You know, you're gone for two days or whatever it is and then you might have a day or two off, you know. 
Yeah, it's hard on, like, not so much me. Other fishermen are away for longer periods of time from their family. But obviously, my wife would prefer me to have a land job where I'm home seven nights a week. But it's just not like that. Yeah, no, but I see them a lot. And it's good to come home and have, you know, my daughter, you know, run up to you. Dad, dad, dad. You know, that's, that's always fun and exciting, you know. So she's happy to see you. Puts a smile on your face. When you have a bad day, it turns into a good day. Jason's found success with the Pacific Golden Crab and a solid growing business here at the Sydney Fish Market. But it's come through plenty of trial and error. He's honest about his first boat being a lemon and about other business decisions he made early on that didn't pay off. I had a couple of different licences before that I probably wouldn't have bought, that I wasted, pretty much wasted money on, didn't get my money back for them. You know, when I Licences for particular fish? Yeah, like to go uh, deep, what they call deep dropping, drop line for blue-eye cod and that. I bought that thinking I had big visions and never used it, basically never used it um, and then just sold it at a loss, which wasn't ideal, obviously. I had another Line West licence, which was just sort of hand, using hand lines and things like that. Again, never used it enough and then it was just like, you know what, I'll just sell it. You know, so I just sold it. He sold the licence for a loss. Did I need it? I didn't need it, you know, but it, just sort of at the time, I'd give myself every opportunity, you know, buy a few different licenses, do different things. And then, you know, I've learned over the course of the 11 years, just do one thing and just be good at that one thing, you know? If you're gonna do multiple things, you're never gonna be great at one. Like, you can't be great at them all. It just doesn't work like that. I don't think anyway. I, I believe just do one thing and be great at that one thing and you'll be fine. The inconsistency and unpredictability can make life as a commercial fisher hard. It's a lesson he learnt from the very start, fishing with his dad. You know, we were catching leather jackets flat out, like hundreds of kilos a day. Sometimes, like, you'd make thousands of dollars a week and then all of a sudden they'd just go off the bite and everything you've made, you go fishing for the next two or three weeks and you catch nothing and everything you've made is gone. It's a cruel cycle, fishing but Jason is learning how to keep ahead of these changes in fortune, to make each trip to sea worth it and generate profit over time. Yeah, I just like, I know I've got a figure in my head. I know I've got to catch X amount for it to be worthwhile. And, um, you know, generally you always catch what you need. Obviously everyone wants to get the mother load every day, but it just doesn't work like that, you know. So I'm not greedy. I mean, every fisherman's greedy. Like, oh, I've got to catch more, I've got to catch more. But... Again, you know, fishing's fishing. One day you're catching a lot, the next day you're catching nothing. Fishing for this rare species of crab wasn't on Jason's mind when he first marched down to the Wollongong Wharf with his dad at 16. He's learned over time and created a niche for himself. There's lots to learn from his fishing career. Are there opportunities for you to fill a niche that no one else is trying yet? Who else in the supply chain is making a profit off your fishing? And are there other ways you could be working together that make more business sense, like Jason and John's crab business? And finally, perseverance. Just perseverance, eh? Like, you know, I don't, I don't really have patience at all in general, <laughs> but come to fishing, like, I'm very patient and persistent with this, you know? Like, everything I make, I put back into it, you know? Like... I'm committed to it and, you know, I want it to work and it is working. Hopefully it can work, you know, for years to come and eventually maybe one day work well enough that I'll buy a house and, 
you know, things like that, my daughter or whatever. Yeah, perseverance and patience I have learned from this job. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks to Jason Georgioulis for speaking to us for this episode and to everyone featured on this first season of the podcast. There are eight episodes of The Business of Fishing in your podcast app. Go back and have a listen to all of them if you haven't yet. There are great insights into fishing, oyster farming and aquaculture from young fishers and farmers around the state. Please share this with your mates and let us know what you think on social media and by reviewing the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you liked this podcast, make sure you listen to Propagate, another podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program. You'll hear from young farmers and fishers rising to the challenges of balancing business, family and technology. Some days I was struggling and I'd be up for like 40 hours, 50 hours, just work and work and work and just to make sure I got there. And then you'd work Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, but by Wednesday you made enough money and then Thursday, Friday you'd cruise, but I worked seven days for ages. Just search for Propagate in your podcast app. Catch you next time.